Hey guys, uh, Lena here in Chicago. Wanted to welcome you to another week on the podcast. We are going through the study uh, of the Gospel of Mark. We're on chapter 7 and 8 today. I hope you're enjoying the study as much as I am enjoying it. it and it, I'll tell you how much I'm enjoying it today. This is the third attempt at trying to teach this lesson. I uh, got interrupted halfway through the first round and then... Uh, I don't know what happened the second round, but anyway, here, here I am, and so I'm really, really digging into this section of Scripture now, and uh, if, if any of you have spent time studying in the Word, then you know that the more you read the section, the more you let it take a hold of your heart, the more you chew on the Word of God, the more it can um, be useful for you and come back to remind you when you need it, and so uh, I know that the Lord has something for me in this lesson since I've been in it so long this morning, but uh, honestly, as usual, it's a joy to, to interact with you through the podcast and uh, get your Bibles out if you're sitting at a table. Hey, if you have the um, message outline and the lesson outline that I have for you guys, it's online if you don't, at uh, livingwithpower.org. Click on Bible study. The top one is the uh, study that goes along with this one. It's called Jesus is Better Than Anything. And in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus like... uh, front and center and he's in all the gospels as he is the word of god he is the gospels and uh, the good news that we've been waiting for so if you're going through a difficult time uh, or a difficult stage in your life right now as many of us uh, tend to go through uh, you know life is a bunch of hills and valleys and you're either up on a hill or down in the valley and so you know um uh, you know how much uh, we need the Lord, and I know in my life how much I need the Lord. So I uh, today want to get into the topic, which is getting to the heart of the matter. And I found in my life that whether I'm up at uh, the mountaintop or down in the valley, that God usually uh, wants to look past the surface of what we consider comforts and wants to dig straight into my heart. And so I uh, I know He's going to do that today as we get into Mark chapter 7. So I have five teaching points for you today. We're going to just walk through this chapter that starts with a encounter between the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, Jesus been kind of going around town up by the Sea of Galilee, preaching the good news, telling people that he is the Messiah, doing works to, to prove that he's the Messiah. People are, you know, healing, being healed from paralysis, from, uh, you know, being maimed for life, and just all, I'm just looking through, I'm, I'm just skipping through the pages of the first few chapters of Mark, and man, we've seen Jesus do some pretty crazy thing. He healed the, the man with a demon, he uh, calmed the storm, walked on the water, and we've seen a lot of different things so far, the feeding of the 5,000, and now we get to uh, the religious leaders who are getting really kind of upset about the fact that there's this uh, man who calls himself Jesus, who is gaining the the, the, the attention of the crowds and there's some jealousies going on and there's some questions going on and so they come to observe and see how they can stump Jesus and so they figured out they say man Jesus' disciples they don't wash their hands the way that you're supposed to do it ceremoniously and so they say to Jesus he says they say in verse 5 why do you disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands so Jesus of course he's never surprised by the attack that comes at him he's expecting it he knows what's in their hearts and he says he he he, he now is talking to the leaders of of, um, of the religious leaders that he says to them, he refers them to the Old Testament. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And isn't it something that um, Jesus gets us exactly where we need it? Uh, so many of us get caught up with going through the motions, just like the religious leaders. And we honor God with our lips. We say the right things, but our hearts are far from him. We go through the motions, but our hearts are... Uh, independent, really. And so here's the first point as we get into the heart of the matter. Number one, what man calls religious, God calls hypocrisy. 
Jesus goes on, and, and if you read the verses 9 through 13, he gives them a, a, an illustration. He says, here's the deal, guys. You guys think you're religious and you're holy, but here's what you do. He, he referred to, um, they had this thing that they did in the Old Testament. I don't know if it still goes on today in, uh, in the Jewish culture, but basically, the well, I know in the Lebanese culture, we care for our aging parents. We're supposed to. That's tradition. And so they used to do that back then, and they had this thing where where the, the children were responsible for the parents. And so, and so um, the problem was that if you didn't like your parents, what would you do? And so instead of just being like, I hate my parents, I'm not going to support them in their old age, which nobody wanted to do because that went against the law too, they uh, had this thing where they would, uh, you know, dog-eared, the funds that they were supposed to use to help their parents, and they would give it, quote-unquote, to God. And they would call it Corbin, meaning given to God. And uh, and Jesus calls them out on, him, on it as one illustration. He says, listen, you think you're godly and holy by giving that money to God, but what you really are, you hate your parents, and you're not giving them what is rightfully theirs, what is respectably theirs. And, and so Jesus is using one of many examples, and I was thinking a bit about that today in our lives, how easy for us to consider ourselves religious um, this morning, when I was doing the first taping of this podcast, I, I was almost halfway through. I'm serious, and, and my phone rang, and it, the text came through first, and then I saw it was my nephew, and then the second time, and then the third time, and the fourth time, I just couldn't take the interruption anymore. I shut down the podcast, and I, I don't know if any of you know how I do these podcasts, but I try to, I try to do them in one taping because it's hard for me to. I don't know how to how to record two back-to-back ones, and I lose my train of thought quickly. And so, basically, uh, after the fourth text, I had to shut off the podcast, pick up the phone, and say, and I just blasted into my nephew. I was like, I can't believe you didn't get the hint after three texts. And, and I felt so um, guilty of this very point. And I don't know if some of your parents, you understand, you know, how what it means to be interrupted in the middle of something, but... But here I was, teaching a Bible study, teaching a godly thing, you know, trying to be a teacher of the Word. And it, all it took is a couple of texts to show me what was in my heart. And that is uh, frustration over the lack of time that I had for today. My obsession with wanting to be done with my to-do list in my framework of, of scheduling. And, and, and really just a desire to control the outcome of the day rather than trust the Lord with it. And, and I felt convicted because I felt like that's exactly how we are, isn't it? We call things religious. We're going to Bible study. We're doing our small group homework. Uh, we're raising our hands in worship. Whatever it is that we like to do that we consider religious. And yet God sees past our religious front to the hypocrisy that's in our heart. And so I don't know about you, but I'm letting these things settle on my heart. I want to. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to live the same way as I teach. I want to be authentic. And I don't want to have a hardened, unrepentant heart that is driven by tradition. I want to be driven by the truth, by the Word of God. Some of our tradition, we've talked about this in this class before, uh, some of it is dri- some of the tradition that drives us is the truth of God's Word, but others is just man-made um, things that we have in- abided by because it helps us feel better about ourselves. And uh, uh, worship that is geared to help us feel better about ourselves is not true worship. Worship that focuses on God and who He is, that is true worship. So, uh, what man calls religious, God calls hypocrisy. Here's a second point in today's message, which is called getting to the heart of the matter. Uh, What you see from the outside, God sees on the inside. 
See, we are so easily impressed. We look at someone's car, at someone's attire, at someone's face, and we make decisions about who they are. And by the way, th- those are there's proven statistics that better-looking people get jobs better than other. You know, people have done studies like that with race. Certain races have a higher ability to get hired than others. I mean, it's just horrific what you hear, but it's the truth. We all are guilty of it, and it's may God forgive us of that. And so Jesus makes this point. He's speaking to the people now. The religious leaders are part of the people who are listening, and he looks at him. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. He, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And so he goes on to say, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. See, again, we are so easily... I don't know, again, I don't know about you, but I, it's easy for me when I fall into lust to blame the television show that I watched or, or to blame, you know, when I get into envy to blame the social media. But do you know, it doesn't come from outside. Sin comes from within. And is it any wonder that God tells us in his word that there's no one righteous, no, not one. We're all sinners. And God's, of course, sent his son to die for us so that we can be made new and that our old heart would be removed and would be given a new heart. I love Second Corinthians. It says the old is past, all has become new in Christ. And, uh, and, and, and I tell you that the pressure on me in life brings out the evil that is still in my heart. And, uh, and, and you can be so easily impressed by others. I can be so easily impressed by others, but only God knows the inside. And I believe that part of our journey in the Christian life is for God to show us through the pressure on our lives what is inside our hearts and then give us a chance to say God I repent of that Uh, I know I cannot hide from you I cannot fake it with you you know who I am and and like the psalmist said in Psalm 139 search me and know me see if there be any wicked way in me and cleanse me and guide me in the way everlasting And, and so that is my prayer I tend to worry about the symptoms in my life God puts his finger on the source of my sin and my and, and the issues in my heart. And so, uh, as painful as it is, you know, you don't drain a pus pocket by pressing around the area of infection. You drain it by putting your finger or the knife right on where the infection is. And Jesus does that all throughout his ministry. He is never sidetracked by the questions that are meant to distract. He has a way of going straight to the heart of the matter. And so, you got to ask yourself today, as the pressure is coming down on you in your life, what is it that God is trying to bring to the surface to show you Lena, you still have a problem with this. Or, John, you still have a problem with that. And whatever it is that he's saying, may, may God give us the grace to say, Lord, I'm willing to change. All right? So that's two points. Here's the third. Uh, while you focus on the... I, actually, before I go to the third, I'm sorry. Let, let's hold that thought. I wanted just to, to make a comment about... Uh, this is a really crazy section here in Scripture. In Mark 7, verses 24 through 30, Jesus picks on the Lebanese woman. <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm Lebanese. I can say that. But there's this weird interaction between Jesus and this woman who is a Gentile. And she was a Syrophoenician, which means a Lebanese woman and by birth. And anyway, she comes in and she begs him to heal her daughter who had a demon. And Jesus says this, and he says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Do you remember ever reading that? Is, is that familiar with you? Basically, the woman's begging him for healing. And he's like, uh, i got to feed the people of Israel first. You, you, I'm not going to give you the food that's the children. It's like compares her to a dog, right? I read a commentary today that said that it was a house dog, not a mean dog or something. I was like, whatever. I mean, what is going on here? I mean, this is Jesus, the kindest, most loving person in the world. What's happening? She answers him, yes, Lord. Listen, she says this, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. 
And she comes to Jesus with absolutely no pride. She says, man, fine, I might be a dog, but I am at your table and I'll take even the crumbs from the table. Jesus is so moved. He says, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Now, there's a lot of things going on here. And I still read this and it, it kind of shocks me. It takes me aback, this story. But, but I think Jesus is making a couple of points. First of all, you cannot come to Christ with pride. You and I cannot come to Christ with pride. We cannot come to Jesus and hang on to the pride in our hearts. Coming to Jesus requires an absolute refusal of self and a complete turning to the Lord and saying, God, you are right. Your way is the way to salvation, not my way. And see, everything in this world tries to have us earn our way to heaven. We're good because we do good works. That is a lie. We are only good because of what Christ has done for us. And, uh, and so there's a sense of this lack of pride as we come to Jesus. And of course, Jesus was making a, a teaching that, that he came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And by God's grace, now salvation opened to both Jews and Gentiles. And, and of course, this whole, the whole New Testament kind of tells that story. And it's, this is awesome. And so, and so she, found, she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And I wanted to kind of highlight that story in light of that point number two, which is what you see from the outside, God sees from on the inside, which is basically saying like, like, on the outside, you might be caught up with the story and think one thing, but what God sees on the inside is this desperate heart of this woman who believes that only Jesus can save her daughter. See, see, you and I might have been like, who does he think he is to, to compare me to a dog? And, and we would have been walked away and told our friends, oh, this guy's so rude. But, but, but you see, the person who understands who Jesus is, this isn't about, oh, he was nice to me or he was mean to me. This is about recognizing Jesus as who he is, God's son, God made flesh. And only the person who recognizes that can say to him, God, even the breads from the table, I'll sit like a dog and lap them up just to be in your presence because I believe that only you can save me. And if, you've not if you cannot understand that, if you've not come to that point where you can understand that, that a king deserves any sort of worship, even lowering ourselves to that point, then you don't understand Jesus as God. You don't, you don't believe that he's Lord of your life. And I would urge you today to consider that, that whether or not you have a relationship with him. And, uh, and, and, you know, we have these images of Jesus as being like this, this, I don't know, this image of what we want him to be. And, 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 and yet we miss some of these stories that are a bit harder to swallow, but are just as much, a part of who Jesus is, a king who demands our worship. All right? So now we can move to point number three, which is this. While you focus on the immediate need, God focuses on the spiritual one. While you and I, we focus on the immediate need that we have, God is focused on the spiritual one. Let me explain. So we'll move into chapter eight for that thought, okay? And in chapter eight, we see Jesus feeding the 4,000. Now remember, he already fed the 5,000, and now we move over to the second miracle of the feeding, and so the disciples are in the same situation, just different day. Isn't it crazy how you can face the same thing just down the road? And God's already done a miracle, but you lose sight of it. And this is what happens to the disciples. All of a sudden, it says, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. So the disciples answer, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Uh, Guys, in the same way that Jesus fed them before. And I tell you, I know this feeling because I've lived there. I mean, this happened to me this week in two specific situations in my life where I have been overwrought with fear. And in both situations, I have been in this place before. I've, the same exact thing I've been through several times in the past, but two specific times in the past. 
the exact identical situation. And yet, how quickly I forget and how quickly, like the disciples, we forget what Jesus can do with just a handful of bread and a few pieces of fish. And so, why, why were they so worried and why did they lose sight of it? Well, because their eyes were on the immediate need. They looked up, they saw the crowd, thousands of people, no food. So their eyes are limited by their need. And isn't that what happens to us? We can't look at the back because our vision is so focused on what is here before us now. And all we see is the negativity of our lack. And, 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 and Jesus looks at them and says, man, there's more going on that meets the eyes. And he, uh, he just asked the question, how many loaves do you have? What's in your hand? What do you have that's all I want? And, and isn't that the truth for you and me today? We might be burdened by the need in front of us. And God says, listen, this is about you recognizing that I am King and Lord. You, this is about you seeing the power of my glory. This is about you understanding that I am not like you, that I am God Almighty and that I am for you. And this is a powerful, powerful lesson. So again, he doesn't say, you dum-dums, I did this before, you never learn a thing, I'm not going to do it again. No, he doesn't do that. On the contrary, Jesus looks at the disciples, takes the little bread and the fish that were offered, and, and, and I've said this before, and I will say it again, it amazes me that thousands of people didn't offer the little that they had, because they'd already seen Jesus multiplied. So you would think that they all wanted a piece of that, but no, nobody did. But what, again, we just a handful of pieces of of fish and of, of bread, and of course Jesus splits it and eats the four. You know, all the people there eat, and they're satisfied, and there's pieces left over. And 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 listen, all through this, what Jesus is focused on is our spiritual need. And and listen, so many of us were focused on the immediate need. I wrote this in point of application. We want to be happy. God wants us to be holy. We long for happiness. God, we have our list. God, give me this. Give me that. Do this. Do that. Because we are so consumed with the things that will make us happy. I know I am. I am consumed with the things that will make me happy. I don't know about you. While all along, Jesus is saying in my life and reminding me, Lena, while I want you to be happy, what I really care about is that you be Christ-like and holy. And so he might allow me to hunger. He might allow me to feel the need of a crowd that's gathered with nothing to feed them. And, 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 and all he wants is all that's in my hand. The question is, will we give it to him? Will you give it to him? Our physical needs distract us, but our spiritual needs will destroy us if we won't tend to them. So there's that. And, 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 and so just let that settle into your hearts. So three points so far, two more to go. What man calls, we're talking about getting to the heart of the matter. What man calls religious, God calls hypocrisy. What you see from the outside, God sees on the inside. While you focus on the immediate need, God focuses on the spiritual need. And then while you look for a sign, God gives you himself. And so he finishes feeding the 4,000 in chapter 8, verse 1. It says the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. We are a people who demand signs of God. Think about it. How many times have you been in that situation where you're like, God, I believe you. If you only do this one thing, I'll believe you once and for all. If you only answer this one prayer, I'll know that you are God. I have made these claims to God and I've regretted them because, look, what happens? He does it. And, and you go, for a minute, yeah, I know that you're God. And then the 60 seconds pass if we're lucky. And then you're back in the same hole with a new need. See, we cannot keep looking for a sign. Over and over again, when people demanded a sign to Jesus, he directed them. Do you know to who? To the prophets, in other words, to his word. 
And he says, look, you've got everything you need to believe. And today we stand before God's word open before us. I have a Bible sitting here on my desk. It is precious to me. And it is a reminder that I have every sign in the word of God, every promise to claim. He doesn't need to do any more signs in my life. And while I might look for a sign, what God has given me is better than a sign. He's given me himself, the living word of God. He's given me the written word of God, the inspired word of God. And I have everything I need, Peter said, for life and godliness. Peter said that in First Peter and remember, Peter is the one who's kind of recounting this gospel of Mark, and Mark is the writer of the gospel. you got to go back and listen to lesson one if you're kind of forgotten about that. So, you can carry this thought while you look for a sign God gives you himself all the way through verse 21. Now, they've forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf. So, he cautions and says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So, the disciples and him have another kind of encounter where he... he Gives them another little, you know, quote-unquote lecture. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And guys, I confess to you, my heart gets so hardened by disbelief and fear. And, I, and what God has done over and over, numerous miracles in my life, I forget. And what Jesus is saying in verse 18, he says, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Now, i got to be honest, I forget so quickly. And yet he reminds them patiently. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, them 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, them seven. He said to them, do you not understand? Do you not yet understand? And this is a word I needed for today. I'll tell you, even teaching it now to you, I'm just letting it settle over my own soul. I need to remember, I need to understand that we have a king who has given us himself, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Any need that you can come up against today, you and I will face needs that will feel insurmountable. But you see, Jesus doesn't, the feeling of insurmountability means nothing to Jesus. The fact is he's given us himself. He's able to, be, to feed the 5,000. He's able to feed the 4,000 with many pieces left over. Can he not yet meet our needs? He can, and then some. It's just a reminder that he's given us more than just the needs that are on our plate. He's given us himself. We have everything we need in him. May we rejoice in that. May we praise him for it. And may our hearts be sufficed and full knowing that he is the desires of our hearts. So, okay. So, I love this. I just, I, I just love it. I just read this and just felt so deeply pierced. And I, I hope you are too. So, last point. I'm going to wrap things up in a minute. Um, he heals. A, he, he moves from there, interacting with disciples to heal a blind man. Uh, then, then, then there's this awesome encounter between Peter and Jesus, which I just think it's really cool because you see this Peter with this like manic, you know, up and down kind of believing, non-believing. First, it says Jesus went with his disciples. He asked them a question in verse 27. He says, "Who do people say that I am?" And so they tell him, you know, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who answers. And he says, you are the Christ. And of course, in the other Gospels, Jesus commends Peter for this. Well, in the very next section, Peter has this weird turnaround where he misses it. Like, you think that me, Peter like got it, right? Because he's like, you're the Christ. We believe you are the risen one. And in the very next verse, Jesus starts talking about dying. He says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and killed, and after three days rise again. I read something interesting in a commentary that um, every time Jesus talks about his death, he also mentions the resurrection, which I think is really amazing. 
because Jesus never just died. He, do- he died and he rose again. The story never ends at death. He rises again. He's the Savior who is risen today. And so, uh, so he said in verse 32, he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I, I, I got to be honest. I, I set my mind on the things of man way too many times in a day. Here's Peter who had uttered some amazing truth in one verse. And three verses later, he's like rebuking, he's being rebuked by Jesus. And, and, and isn't that how it is in the Christian life? One minute we get it and the very next we're filled with doubt or with sin. And yet in, in it all, Jesus is faithful. His love to us, unconditional, always steadfast, always true. And, and he goes on then. Jesus moves from this. He has this harsh word with Peter. And then, because, because, listen, why? Why did he speak harshly to Peter? Because he knew that the reason that he came to earth is to go to the cross and to die for our sins. Nothing was going to stand in the way of Jesus fulfilling his purpose here on this earth. And, uh, and, 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 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? This is awesome, awesome, awesome. And so the last teaching point in getting to the heart of the matter is this. While you choose personal comfort, God chooses suffering leading to salvation. We see it all through these verses. You and I are like Peter. We want comfort. Don't die. Don't go to the cross. Don't be killed. We Give us comfort. Give us our needs. Feed us, God. We're hungry. Meet our financial. I mean, we're just so focused on the here and now. If you look through my prayer list, you, I might be embarrassed at how centered around my comfort it is. And I'm reminded in these verses again of God's way, which is not like my way. It is a way that leads to the cross. It is a way that includes suffering. And it is a way that ultimately leads to resurrection and life. But it will demand us giving up everything in the interim. While we might choose personal comfort, God always chooses suffering leading to salvation. Suffering leading to salvation. This is amazing. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his only angel with his holy angels. See, the story is not over. My friends, the story is just getting started. Jesus is coming back, and may he come back soon. And until then, I pray that you and I will live in a way that is honoring to him, in a way that is radically opposed to anything that we see here on this earth, and in a way that exemplifies the very life that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the, of the world, lived here on this earth. But in order to do that, we've got to get to the heart of the matter. The question for us today is, are we willing to do it? Are we willing to scratch past the surface? Are we willing to dig past our own desire for comfort and pursue holiness as as is instructed to us by Jesus and as he so much is trying to do in our life through the pressures, through the difficulties, through the unanswered prayers, and through the delays. And so as we seek him and as he he speaks us through his word, may we be submissive and surrendered to him. So that is the desire of my heart. That's the lesson for today. We'll come back in a couple of weeks and move into chapter 9. It's always challenging when we do two chapters. I appreciate your patience. I love you guys. Hey, know that you can connect with me at lina, L-I-N-A, at livingwithpower.org. May Christ continue to be our leader and our example and our shepherd, guiding us through the valleys and rejoicing with us on our hilltops. And uh, I look forward to meeting you, if not in person soon, then someday in glory. And so until then, guys, be in touch. Go to my website, livingpower.org, livingwithpower.org. Plenty of resources there for you. Uh, More to come later. All right, guys? Bye.